Hello and Hello. welcome to the Comedians Paradise. This is the podcast where I speak to amazing, adventurous and very intriguing characters from across the globe that inspire comedians like you and me to live this comedy journey on our own terms. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe, but most importantly, give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes. Now, today we have a very fantastic guest. He has the surname of the James Bond writer, author. But he's a very intriguing man who, in, he's, he's like the Louis Theroux of comedy. <laughs> he talks to intriguing comedians and he's a man who, who's interviewed every comedian you could probably possibly imagine on the UK. He has some intriguing and tantalizing stories and he's a very intriguing character who you're going to love. Please welcome John Fleming. Oh, who is, I want to talk to this bloke. He sounds quite interesting. Ah, oh, it's good. I think he's looking in the mirror now. <laughs> I talk to myself a lot. No one else will. <laughs> Must have very intriguing conversations. What, 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 what do, you, do you say back to yourself? Uh, I never listen. I, I get bored very easily. With, you know, people tend, tend not to listen to me very much. I ask them lots of questions about themselves. And then uh, if I talked about myself, so you tend to fall asleep. So, you know. Well, I mean, talk about like falling asleep. Like, how did you, um, how did you, so you've worked as an editor, author, producer, director, TV promo, marketer, final talent. Like, tell us a bit about that and like how it led to you becoming a comedy blogger. I should have been a sleeper agent, shouldn't I? Uh, I just bummed around a lot. Uh, comedy blogger. Uh, I think I ran out of things to do, didn't I? I can't remember. How did I become a comedy blogger? That's very good. Oh, I was I was plugging a film. That's right. And I thought I'd plug a film by by blogging about it, and then that uh, turned into comedy because I knew lots of comedians through Malcolm Hardy. Uh-huh. I, have, I have an irritating cough, by the way. <coughs> there we go. Lifelong. I inherited it from my father. Oh, is it gone now? <laughs> The father's gone, but the cough remains. Oh, but so you were friends with Malcolm Hardy. I mean, he's set up the, he's created the world famous Malcolm Hardy Awards. I mean, like, what what was Malcolm Hardy like as a person? And like, what tell us a bit about the story that led to the creation of the awards? If I can remember, uh, well, Malcolm was very shy. His uh, his his his, his uh, image was that he would do anything, which he would, and he was very anarchic and uh, didn't give a shit about anything, uh, which is true. But he was actually rather shy, uh, and it's like that thing where if people are, are quite shy, then they become extrovert to hide the shyness. I think uh, the story the story about the Malcolm Hardy Awards can I even remember it? Uh, there was a uh, I thought, oh no, there's one. You see, this is why no one should interview because I, I just jibber. The, the the awards originally was were because I wanted to see if I could get free tickets to every comedy show in Edinburgh. And I thought, how do you get free tickets to every comedy show in Edinburgh? And I thought, start awards because then people would just give you give you uh, free tickets, which Malcolm did himself. Because when the Perrier Award was going in Edinburgh, he he created the Tapwater Awards. Uh, so that people would give him free free tickets, <laughs> and he did he did he did give awards, but he gave awards to his friends, so he would never actually have to give them any award. Uh, so his friends always won the tap water awards, as far as I remember. Uh, so in, 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 I thought it was uh, 
in, in keeping with his memory that I should uh, do a sort of con-like thing and uh, pretend there were awards. And I thought, well, if I'm going to pretend there are awards, I might as well have awards. So, so it started off with just one award for uh, bizarre comedians that Malcolm would have liked. And then uh, the next one was uh, next one was uh, the Cunning Stunt Award, and that came about because there was a a girl called Jill who uh, came to me and said, uh, "You've got these awards, the Malcolm Hardy Awards for for the, the, uh, the most original comedian. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put my I'm going to nominate myself for the awards, and because I've nominated myself for the awards, I'm going to put on my posters Malcolm Hardy Award nominee. I think Malcolm would have liked it. And I thought he would have liked it. And that's a very good idea." So, so and, and I thought it was a very good cunning stunt to do that. So I thought, well, we, we better give her an award before she gives herself an award. So we gave her an, an award for a cunning stunt, uh, uh, and uh, that, that worked. And then the third award was um, uh, act most likely to make a million quid. And that's because after a few years, I looked at all the award winners and thought, no one, no one knows who these people are because a definition of winning a Malcolm Hardy award for originality and comedy really is that you're not going to make a, a BBC One show eight o'clock on a Saturday night. So no one's going to know who you are, because if you're that original, no one is really going to, you're not really going to be that famous. You're not going to be mainstream. So I thought, well, this is going to look bad if all the old people won these awards are never going to uh, seem to be famous. So I thought, well, we better have someone, something where people actually are going to be known in 10 years' time. So I had the Act Most Likely to Win a Million Quid Award, which is a sort of a serious award that... Uh, you find someone who's going to make a million quid, and then when people look at the the list of winners in ten years' time, it looks more impressive than it would would do otherwise. So there. So that's that's what got. And then um, you was asked called who's who, which awards which acts have really sort of impressed you during those awards that you remember. All of them, because they're all geniuses. They're all comic geniuses. I'm no fool. And then, and then, the, the, then the, the, well, every, everyone was, everyone deserved, well, most people <laughs> deserved the award, everyone deserved the award. Uh, and but the, the thing was to, to be definitively a Malcolm Hardy uh, award winner, the main award, which was for uh, originality in comedy. You had to be original in some way. It's very difficult to be original because almost everything has been done before. You should have to do something really weird. Uh, uh, and so, you know, you just look for weirdness. But weirdness, by definition, probably isn't going to make you a mainstream star. Might do. <coughs> what? Because it's harder to sell. Yeah, it's, it's also hard for me to remember who won the awards. Therefore, I can't say someone was very good. I've got a terrible memory. That's why I can never be a comedian myself, because I've got an absolute shit memory. You've got to remember things to be a comedian. Remember what the act is for a start. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the perfect audience member because I can see a brilliant act and say that's the, that's the funniest act I've ever seen in my life. That's, that's the three best jokes I've ever heard in my life were in that act. Walk out the door. I've forgotten what the jokes were. Perfect audience member. But but what what made you so you were friends with Malcolm Hardy and he knew a lot of comedians. But like, what what made you get get really interested in finding out about comedians? Uh, because uh, by definition, comedians must be uh, different to other people in some way. They must have some sense of originality. Uh, you know, uh, if you talk to I'm slamming bank managers. If you talk to bank managers or, or filing clerks, they're not really going to be that interesting. But if you talk to comedians, they're going to look at the world in a different way, probably, because uh, no one's going to pay money to watch someone say the obvious on stage. They're going to pay money to hear someone say the the uh, the quirky 
odd view of life. Uh, and therefore, by definition, if they're going to have an alternate reality, an alternate view of life, they're going to be interesting. I think. And Not all of them. I've sat through some bad shows. <laughs> Any ones in particular? Well, you don't want to say. <laughs> bad shows. I would. Londinium was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. But let's, <laughs> it wasn't altogether a well, It wasn't altogether a show, but it was awful. Anyway. It, it, it got, I think, universal one-star reviews. But when, when I was in, in waiting to go into the show, there was a sense of anticipation with the audience because we all knew we were going to see something truly awful, and we're looking forward to it. And, and what's it called? There's a comedian called what's his face, uh, Nick what's his Lavelle. Face? Yes, well, I mean, I may call him what's his face. I don't. Uh, Nick, uh, Nick Lavelle. He, he set up a, a show based in the one star reviews, I think, called The Worst Show in Edinburgh. Oh, really? No, there was now. I can't remember who. Oh, God, I can't remember who it was. There was a. I'm only saying this because it narrows it down. There was a gay comedian, wonderful gay comedian, and uh, Kate Copstick, the legendary Scotsman reviewer, saw this show and she, she loved this act. She saw he, he was a great act, but this particular show he did this year that she reviewed it was shit so she gave him a one-star review uh, and the uh, next day well in fact th this came out in the scotsman in the morning by the afternoon all over town on his posters there was a strap line saying a star the scotsman uh, and, and she, she was so impressed by this she always wanted to give him another star but it, and it was i don't know why i said that hmm. your turn a star, <laughs> one star review. Uh, uh, i hope I hope so. It's so. What have you found through viewing comedians to be that you know you you say they have the unique viewpoint because of what they choose to do is so different. But what of for through speaking to them, what's an, what's another thing that you found interesting about them? Like Lynn Ruth Miller says that comedians are mavericks. Yeah. Um, but is there anything you notice in particular, like a, a, a common trait that seems to be in comedians as to why they do it? Like, is it something from their lives? Are they a bit, do they do it because they've had something bad happen to them and that's why they do it? Or as you said before the podcast, comedians all bonkers and that's why they do it. <laughs> I never, would I say they were bonkers and barking mad? Uh, <laughs> okay. I did have this theory once that then that all comedians are masochists because uh, if, if they go on stage and they do a wonderful show and, and the roof comes down with applause and everyone loves them, uh, they, they know that the next show won't be that good. Uh, and if they go on stage and everyone hates them and, it, 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 and they, they, they die on stage, they know they're as bad as they think they are. And so they're, they're on a no-win a no situation because you, you, whether you're successful or unsuccessful on stage that night, there's no good way out of that. You're either going to be as bad the next time or you're going to be worse or whatever. And so I think this an element of, well, you, you certainly want to, comedians want to prove themselves, don't they? They want the applause. I can never be a comedian, A, because I've got no memory. And also B, I don't really care what people think about me. And I don't care if people applaud me. I mean, I've, I've, I've had to talk to mass groups of people and at the end, you know, there's polite applause, but I, I don't get a kick out of it. Very often when you talk to comedians, they say, oh, well, the first time I went on stage in a school play or something, I got that applause or I got that laughter. And I thought, oh, this is the job for me. And I think, well, I don't really care. 
So whereas, <laughs> whereas comedians care deeply uh, about the audience reaction to them, uh, and I, I and so they they're in, uh, insecure. But it is that thing about a, a, a lot of extroverts are actually introverts. So Malcolm Hardy was was who wasn't really a comedian; he was he was an MC. But Malcolm Hardy was actually very shy, I thought. But uh, his image was that he was very outgoing because he did all these outgoing things to hide the shyness, I believe. <coughs> Sorry. Oh, yeah, that's my line. <coughs> that's not <a> cough. <coughs> okay, I'll do it. It's a cough. <laughs> but you, what you said there is a bit like when someone tries to be too, um, like too when someone's trying to be too manly like oh i'm a big strong man i'm dangerous i'm this and that like with conor mcgregor he's <clears throat> right now he's not very confident but he's trying to pretend to be confident like he was before by being loud aggressive pretend to be confident being rude to try and hide the fact that he's insecure yeah i mean i think i think if you if you've got an internal insecurity then uh, if, if you're very nervous and shy and all that, then not not in common terms, but in general terms, you might be more aggressive. I mean, I've met in my time, I met a few murderers and killers and things, and I think almost universally, the people I know who people I've met who've been killers have been very quiet and polite and very they wouldn't harm them, they wouldn't harm a fly, uh, but but they've killed people, you know, in cold blood. So, I, mean, I mean, I've met, I met some murderers uh, and I've met a couple of SAS men and very polite, very quiet, you know, very unassuming because they don't need to prove it. Whereas the people who are very loud, who are very loud and aggressive, do need to prove it to themselves, they, you know, that they're the man. And it's sort of a bit like, is it a bit like I'm making this up as I go along? But uh, I remember having a conversation with, with someone at uh, London Weekend. Uh, we were researchers on on their. Uh, real people shows um uh, surprise surprise and game for a laugh long long forgotten uh, and uh she said uh we, we were trying to find eccentric people and she was saying that the people we didn't want on the show were the people who were the life and soul of the party and who were who made everyone laugh in the pub because they were fake eccentrics the people we wanted actually were, were very quiet shy people because they were the real eccentrics if you actually buried into them they were really eccentric if, if someone's loud and eccentric in a pub it's all show it's not real but if, if someone's sort of sitting quietly in the corner they probably manage a hatter or, or just very very interesting mm. that, 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 that's an interesting point <laughs> they're the mad as a hatter or very interesting <laughs> well one of the, the two are not not quite the same but yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah. it would be interesting to do a survey when you get that mad oddball in a pub that no one talks to. And if you went to every pub in the country, yeah. I'd be interested to find out which one's mad and which one's just very interesting. <laughs> well, maybe it's sort of like you, some, some bloke goes mad with an AK-47 and goes around Tesco supermarket shooting everybody. Whenever people are interviewed about that afterwards, they will say, oh, you're so quiet. He was quiet. You, you wouldn't, you, you very quiet he was. You don't, you don't, you very rarely get people saying, oh, well, he, he was, he was very loud and aggressive. Usually the people who actually are sort of, homicidal maniacs they're very sort of quiet and shy not that i would say comedians are homicidal maniacs some might be yeah some of them i wouldn't be surprised <laughs> uh, but... okay um 
Yeah, it's, it's one thing I've found of a lot of comics is that a lot of people assume that comedians, are because on stage they project a character themselves. Yeah. They're very outgoing, very confident, very sociable and easy to get on with. And, you know, they expect them to be like heroes you see in a movie. That's really cool. Yeah. But off stage, a lot of them are, are not like that at all. I mean, the first thing people ask when they meet a comedian is tell us a joke. And that's not what comedians are like off stage at all. Isn't it? Comedians off stage aren't con- continually sort of being jolly and telling people jokes at all. They're probably rather morose and suicidal. <laughs> yeah. It's not one thing that, I, that has had a thought to me recently that a lot of comedians, I think, that there's something that's missing and that's why they do it. Yeah. So, like, with regarding mental health issues I mean as you mentioned before a lot of them do it because they feel a bit insecure and comedy in a way helps them feel better about themselves and then even the ones that appear to be very you know just regular and not off the wall like you hit when you get to know them on stage like you hear that they've got these health problems or whatever or they got I hear, hear a lot of them saying they got the IBS or they got some sort of blood condition or this and that and so I feel that in, co- in comedy, or maybe in all performing arts, they're trying to cover for something that's missing their lives. Well, they, they, they want uh, a confirmation that they're interesting, or confirmation that people like them, presumably. Uh, and uh, if, if you get a, a 3,000 seater all applauding you and whooping and standing up and giving you a standing ovation, then that's uh, reassuring you that uh, you're not a nobody. When when you're when you've done all these interviews, I mean, how many have you done so far? I mean, you've done it for over ten years. So, and would that be in the thousands? God knows, I suppose so. Yeah. But do you have like a little checklist before you interview the comedian? Yeah, yeah. And and I never I never have any list before I talk to people. Because um, if if you've got a list and you go through the list one two three oh, it's question number fifteen now, then you're not really going to get under their under their skin or get get the real story. The thing is to re- do the do like the first three questions to come into your head, and then that person will say something that takes you off on a total sidetrack. But that sidetrack will take you onto another sidetrack, and then you'll find something really interesting you never knew about. I mean, I should I should read past interviews with those people, but I never do because I'm lazy. Uh, but. Uh, uh, if, if you if you read all the past interviews, you know all the questions that they they have of all the answers they have of Pat. But if you if you if you don't read the interviews that they've done before, then they, they can't necessarily go into the same old rut they've been in before. You want you want, you want to talk to them about something they've not talked about before. Mm. And, and also to, to an extent, I'm I'm good interviewer because people there. Uh, think I'm an idiot. It's always a help, I think, uh, because I, I just gibber. I, I, I like like this, I gibber, and therefore I don't appear to be a threat. And I'm not a threat because I don't do bad, I don't do nasty interviews, but uh, mm-hmm. and therefore they're, they're more likely to trust me and to tell me things they haven't told other people, maybe. Yes, um, there's a there's a podcast called uh, James English, and he's oh, the James ones English. Of, yeah, he's a, well, it's, it's a podcast that's doing quite well. And I watched an interview that where they interviewed him. And one of the things he does, like he interviews criminals or murderers and all sorts of different people and like celebrities. And one thing he does, even if he thinks that someone's talking lies, he doesn't argue with them. He just lets them talk yeah. like because yeah. it's easier for them to be themselves. And <coughs> in the podcast as well, 
I, don't, I tend not to, if I, if I disagree with something that the guest's saying, a lot of the times I, I, I rarely ever say that I disagree with them because I want them to let their opinions out rather than I want to find out about them. And if I start arguing with them, then they're going to close up. Yeah, I mean, an ex-girlfriend of mine once said to me, and it wasn't, it wasn't a compliment, I was non-judgmental, I never actually judged it. <laughs> Uh, which is good, but uh, yeah, I mean, if someone if uh, if someone says something, then I'll try and say the opposite. Because if you if you if you say the opposite, then you have to argue their point. Well, one of the things I was always told early on was never ever ask a, a yes no question, because they'll just say yes or no, and there's, there's, it doesn't get you anywhere. What you do is you uh, if if someone if someone offers a view, then what you should do is offer the opposite view and see how they get out of that corner. Uh, ah. So, so, I, so, but, but, I, I, just as often, I'll say that to someone I agree with. So, if someone, someone I agree with says something, I'll put the opposite view I don't agree with, so that they have to justify the view I do agree with. If you see what I mean. Mm. So, two things from that: when you're preparing for an interview, like from my side, okay. I'll look at, I, I'll look at like other podcast interviews or interviews they've already yeah. done. What do you do to get sort of a bit background information on who you interview, or to well, try and I, understand who they are? I vaguely know who they are, and I don't. I don't do background. I mean, I, don't, I know the basic background. I mean, I know uh, I know nothing about you, but then I'm not interviewing you. If, if <laughs> I want to know about you, I'd sort of because I, I know nothing about your background really. I, I'd just have a general sort of look around at a chortle or wherever, uh, and see what you see if you. I don't care if you've been to university or if, if you were a sheet metal worker. I can find that out when when I talk to you. So, so, so I mean, the, 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 you know, what are you in the outside world apart from a stand-up comedian? Uh, ah. and, then, and that'll lead on to something else. So, I mean, if if you're a sheet metal worker in in real life and you do stand-up comedy in the evenings, I mean, most most stand-up comedians because there's no money in it. Most stand-up comedians have another job and therefore they have another life. And uh, probably the, the interesting thing actually isn't them being a stand-up comedian. It's, it's what they're actually doing in, in the, the quote real world or what they've done before. Yeah. So I, I don't really prepare very much. I just uh, let it flow. I, I, I don't interview. I chat, as it were. It's yeah. Do do you feel sometimes if you frame something too much in a certain direction, it will affect the quality of it? So when I when I do a set. I don't think of trying to be funny. I just think of like if I have an idea that I find interesting and I just play with it on stage. And that works a hundred times better for me than when I try and write a joke. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, obviously I know a lot of comedians. Comedians get very worried if people don't laugh. And I, I, I've watched shows from the audience where the audience loved the show, loved the comedy in it, loved it. Uh, and the comedian came, came off stage and said, oh my God, they didn't laugh. They hated me because they didn't laugh. But they probably didn't laugh because they were so fascinated by the story he was telling, he or she was telling, that they didn't. They were laughing inside, but they, they weren't laughing out, out outwardly. I mean, to laugh outwardly, you probably need a one-liner. Uh, if, if if you're really interested in the, the whole uh, structure of the, what the person's saying, it can be very funny all the way along. Uh, but you wouldn't necessarily laugh out loud. You, you'd enjoy it, and you would laugh internally. And so comedians get nervous if they don't hear the the superficial external laughs because they can't hear the the uh the, the deep down uh enjoy enjoy and 
chortle laughs, whatever I meant to say. It's a funny thing that you mentioned there, because that's... Because uh-huh. <laughs> it, it, it's... it's I, I mean, if I hear that in the audience of someone giving me that laugh, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it... Because um, I spoke to a New York comedy producer and he's, he had this interesting incident where they were speaking to these really like damaged people physically and mentally and like when people were trying to perform to them because they couldn't get a big reaction they thought they had bombed yeah. when in fact actually um, <coughs> like they were talking to these stroke victims or these they mm-hmm. actually did quite well but the guy went up to him and said I've not seen my wife smiling that yeah. like that in years I mean, you, you can sit through an hour of comedy and not laugh once and just really enjoy it as a wonderful piece of comedy. I mean, this is a different argument, different angle, but Janie Godley is fascinating. I don't know if you know Janie Godley. No, not Scottish comedian. Now, Janie Godley, uh, who's, um, I always say Janie Godley doesn't tell funny stories, but she tells stories funny. Yes, yeah. And, and so she now she gets laughs and she gets laughing out loud, people rolling about in the aisles laughs, but she's ne- I swear to God, she's never told a funny story in her life. So the first time I saw her was at the Edinburgh Fringe and she was talking about being raped as a child by her uncle. She was talking about uh, people being murdered, left her, her mother was murdered, uh, thrown in the Clyde. All the things she almost everything she talks about, certainly talked about then, was not remotely funny. But everyone laughed because of the way she said it. And there's, there's, a, there's a, a video online of her talking. I think I think the headline on YouTube is something like Fuzzy Felt Jesus or something. And it's her talking to an audience in Falkirk or somewhere. And it starts, it's the start of the show. And she starts off by saying, now, before before uh, we get going, something you have to do, which is uh, I was raped by my mother. Uh, sorry, I was raped by my my, my uncle uh, uh, and uh, my mother was killed and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but don't worry about it because I, I got my uncle killed for my birthday later on. <laughs> and she said, that's not a joke, that's true. And they laugh more. And she said, I did, I got him killed. And, and they laugh even more. And said, got his balls cut off. And they laugh even more. And each time she says that she's not lying, each time she says that this is not a joke, <laughs> laugh more and more and more. And it's because of the way she tells it. It's a way I tell them. But, uh, and it's because that she doesn't tell funny stories. She tells stories funny. And that's an enormous, wonderful knack to have. But uh, again, it's, it goes into that thing about you don't actually have to laugh to be enjoying the show. And you don't actually have to tell jokes to get laughs. Mm. And that's something that I found, especially on sort of I'm on the at the moment on the amateur circuit and a lot of the things people seem to do is they're very focused on it. The only way of being funny is that yeah. like, I come across a lot of that. Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, comedians want to hear laughter. And if they don't hear laughter, they think they've not succeeded. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, a lot of the time they're not funny and that's why they've not got a laugh, but, you know. <laughs> is there is there any um is there any thing that you look for when you're interviewing a guest or you just tiramisu if they give me tiramisu they're onto a winner okay no worries what about fish and chips no tiramisu a curry no no tiramisu 
Oh, you can send me the cost of a tiramisu. All right, all right. That's right. What was the question? I was, I was like, look, I got bored. I wasn't listening. What? What was the question? <laughs> I mean, so, but, but what is it that you look for in a guest? Do you not look for anything in particular? Because... I, I, just that they interest me. So I, I don't do nasty interviews. I don't, I don't expose people for X, Y, or Z. I, I only interview people that I, I, I'm, I'm interested in, or I, I think are, are interesting, or are very talented. And uh, probably at the lower end of the the pecking order. I, I wouldn't be interested in interviewing Michael McIntyre particularly. Why? I mean, it's not going to do him any good. It's not, you know, and what can you ask Michael McIntyre? He's been asked it all already. Yeah. But it's much more interesting to get people who are starting off and people who uh, who uh, just are in themselves interesting. I interview interesting people. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't approach someone cold. Uh, well, I mean, I, I might see someone perform and think, oh, they look interesting. I'll, I'll, I'd like to have a chat with him or something. But I mean, my, my blog also is called a comedy blog, but it's, it's just anything that interests me, really. <laughs> yeah, I noticed you did a few, like you about your, you did a few personal blogs recently, didn't you? Some days in an NHS hospital should be a sitcom. <laughs> Are you all better now? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, what? But okay, so it's just yeah. I thought it was that. And do you, do you go to gigs across the country to go and watch them, or do you, it just happens? Not in the last eighteen months, obviously. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, before the COVID thing struck, I mean, uh, yeah, I, mean, I would go to lots of. As I say, because I'm not really interested in big stars, I wouldn't go to the O2 or something. But I'd, I'd see lots of open mic spots and lots of. Uh, uh, free free shows, mostly free shows, because they're more interesting in in London or the Edinburgh Fringe. I mean, the Edinburgh Fringe, you've got twenty eight days of, you can see maybe five shows a day. Yeah. So the, the Fringe and, and the, the the Fringe in Edinburgh and the Fringe in London, as it were. I was always more I've always been more interested in the Fringe acts rather than uh, established acts. And and by Fringe acts, do you mean comedians that are trying to conquer the what's it called the festival circuit? Well, the straight stand-up circuit. Well, I mean, st- st- I mean, I'll, in Edinburgh, a lot of the stand-up isn't stand-up anymore; it's storytelling. And I think, and there's a limit to this amount of stand-up you can take. I mean, if if you go to some club in London, and obviously before COVID, if you go to some club in London and you've got five five twenty-three-year-old males doing joke after joke after joke, it pulls a bit. I mean, it's all much of a muchness. Oh, God, if, yeah. If, if, if there's something interesting about them, I think they're barking mad, but if there's something interesting about them or they're doing it in, doing something different in an interesting way, uh, then, uh, I mean, just stand up, stand up, stand up. It's not really that interesting. Uh, yeah. No, I, I get that as well. I, I, I you know, I, I'm much, it's it's more interesting to see something wacky because it's a bit like you're seeing the same thing all the time and then you're like oh that's different yeah. i mean rob robert white who who won the malcolm hardy award i don't know if you know him yeah i mean unique, i mean seriously unique i mean just it's a it's, a, it's sort of a musical act but it doesn't do it justice it's sort of a stand-up act that, that doesn't do it justice it's just very 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 it comes at you from all sorts of bizarre angles uh and he, I can't remember the five things he's got wrong with him. He, but he's, he's autistic, gay, webbed foot, half Welsh, and something else. Yeah, he, he ticks all the boxes for being uh, unusual. And and he he almost won them. Uh, uh, Britain's Got Talent. 
except he was up against uh, new new was it new voice guy yeah uh, and i thought well the audience is going to boot for the other guy but he, he should have won that really but, it's funny with him that if, took... if you're up against people with a disability or there's a four-year-old children singing then you're dead <laughs> mm, that's true unless you're another one of them <laughs> but he's he's yeah he's, he's incredible robert white like it's it's i love hearing stories about sort of like underdogs and then they go and make something they make it like he was struggling for years and years yeah and then when he had this big break and Britain's Got Talent, now he's 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 wrecking it now. Define wrecking? <laughs> I mean, like he's he's doing he's he's doing amazing, and he's like he's he's doing everything he ever wanted to do now, more yeah. or less, isn't he? And it's like he, he's been doing it nearly sort of twenty years, isn't he? Like fifteen yeah, yeah, yeah. something. But, well, he had a slight problem in that he 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 was sort of building momentum uh, when COVID hit, which didn't didn't help. <laughs> You know, because then then it was building momentum, and then then everything suddenly stopped because there was there were no performances, no anything going on. Uh, so I, I don't know if he'll come out the other side, continuing the momentum, or whether it, it's un, un, unjustly destroyed the momentum. Well, he's still got a big following, oh, yeah. so I think he's 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 pretty much okay. Yeah. I mean, I think the comics that I am a bit more iffy about are the ones that haven't got that but have been pro acts for years yeah. like uh john uh pendle like he's what do you, do you know john pendle yeah he's i mean he's got a unique angle as well with the leather thing and he's he's stopped doing it and it's a bit like he's one of the finest comics i ever saw and then he quit i mean there are a lot of good acts uh <laughs> Lots of good acts who never get anywhere, and it's not nothing to do with them really. It's just a matter of luck. I mean, it it, it is talent and luck and perse- perseverance. I mean, Janie Godley was good going on the go for ages before she uh, uh, cracked it. But that, that's that's more that's more of an achievement and more of a fantastic thing when you have to fight through it and then you get there. If someone gets it easy, there's no story there. There's nothing interesting here. But to hear of someone who struggled, going yeah. through ups and downs, and yeah. then they make it, yeah. that's, that's a movie there. Yeah, but, but all, all those people struggling don't know that they're going to make it. So it's it's not very nice to experience yeah. that. Uh, and no. uh, a lot of those people struggling don't make it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's an unfair world. What, who have been... Um, you have. Oh, thank you, man. Well, who who have been your most interesting guests on the blog, and what was it that have, that has made them stand out? Oh no, I mean uh, they the, the all be wonderful, darling, lovey, wonderful. I mean, oh, uh, oh, oh. I, I don't have a, a best a best of anything because it's silly because everyone's so totally different. I mean, I mean, who who's the best comedian you've ever seen? Well, there's X, Y, Z, all sorts of best comedians in different ways. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I do. Michael McIntyre is much hated by other comedians, it seems to me. And I think he's a brilliant comedian, absolutely brilliant. Michael McIntyre is wonderful. But I wouldn't go and see a show because it's going to be the same as the show he did yesterday and the, show, the same as the show he's going to be doing tomorrow. It's, it's word perfect and pause perfect and everything and a wonderful piece of work. But I'm just not interested. I, I'd much rather see a, a, an up and down and all over the place come. There is a comic who I won't name who's, who's successful now, but who when he was starting off, uh, he had a good reputation, but when he was starting off, maybe 
80 percent of no 70 percent of the app was absolute rubbish maybe 25 percent was okay and five percent was absolute genius and it was worth seeing him for the five percent uh, but he, he's now got a a, a more stable uh, average but uh, i mean i'd much rather see an app that has five percent genius and the rest's rubbish than an app that's uh, like michael mcintyre that's going to be perfect all the way through michael mcintyre will go it's a straight line of, of, of wonderfulness uh but if an app's got 95 percent of rubbish or 95 percent not very good and five percent of genius i'll go and see that act mm. because the five percent of genius is is out of left field it's it's from nowhere and you think bloody hell i've never seen that before Ah, and but they're not going to get an eight o'clock on a Saturday night show on BBC One. No, I mean I would love to see it though. I want to see a left field act really storm it there. I mean the trouble with say television is that uh, you want an act that'll be the same in rehearsal, dress rehearsal, and, and recording, and it has to, and the, the director has to know exactly what's happening, pretty much exactly what's happening. You can't uh, ad lib too much. Uh, I mean, Barry Barrymore used to add a little lot, but uh, they they took account of that and had wide angle shots. But uh, you can't. You, I know. No, I'm trying to avoid mentioning an act. Uh, there was an act who who was on a mainstream television show, uh, and uh, he uh, he 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 couldn't do the same thing twice in a row, and so he he, he didn't he didn't become successful in a, in on TV because you have to be able to do things perfectly time after time on television mm. Mm. I mean, seriously you have to do it in, in rehearsal in dress rehearsal ah. maybe another rehearsal and then well, uh, run, run through uh run through dress rehearsal camera rehearsal recording they have to be the same they have to run run to time they have to have all the laughs in the right places if, if you you can't guarantee that the laughs going to be in the right place at the right time and enough of them then tough you know you're not on it has to be very controlled and because the stakes are so high yeah it's a bit like with some of the tv shows like the reality shows i mean they're all people think that they're being real but they know they're being filmed yeah and they and have to put on an entertaining show and there are complicated things like i have i got news for you which i've seen a couple of times being recorded <coughs> I can't remember. They go on for like about two and a half hours or something. Endless, endless, to to make a half hour show because they only pick the best bits. Uh, and I, I thought they were more scripted than they are. But I, I think the partly script, well, partly jokes are given to the, to the people. I think to an extent. But I mean, they, they just record an hour and a half, two hours, and then they get a, a twenty eight minute show out of it. Uh, it's. Yeah, it's interesting as well because uh, Tom Allen, like yeah. he he does a lot of panel shows, but yeah. I see that a lot of the bits he does on those panel shows that are supposed to be just improvised are bits that he regularly does in his stand-up. Yeah, and also if you look at the end credits of some of those shows, there's an awful lot of <coughs> an awful lot of associate associate producers and by and large they're gag writers. I, mean, I can't remember what it was. I, I know a, a comedy script writer, and he, he he showed me the end of one show, and there were like eight, eight associate producers or something. Except they're all gag writers, every one of them. Uh, but Tom, Tom Allen's interesting because I, I didn't think he would be successful because I didn't think. I don't know why. I think he's wonderful. He's really, really good. But uh, I thought, well, A, there's a limit to the number of gay comedians at any given time. 
I mean, Channel 4's got, um, oh, I can't remember bloody names. Channel 4's got a gay comedian whose name escapes me. I can't bloody remember. Alan Carr. Uh, yeah, Alan Carr. They've got Alan Carr. Uh, BBC Channel 4 ITV, they've all got that one gay comedian. That's a big time, and uh, there's a limit to it. Uh, and uh, to a certain extent, like black comedians, there's a limit to the number of black comedians who can be successful on one, cha- on, on one channel. Uh we we could do a, a few more Indian subcontinent comedians, I think. But uh... got Ramesh. We got a few others, I think. <laughs> yeah. So there. Yeah. And what about what, what, John? What about the what about the Asian comedians that look like me? We got Uncle Roger. We got we got uh, Phil Wang. What Ria Lena? Yeah. But, but I'm really, really is interesting. Uh, but no, I mean, if you talk to someone in a, in a bus queue in Wolverhampton, they've never heard of these people. No, but they've heard of Michael. They, you know, people on, on mainstream television in, in uh, I mean, a lot in, in my erstwhile youth. I mean, sitcoms were always on at like 7.30, 8, 8, 8.30 at night, that sort of time. Nowadays, sitcoms are like 10.30 at night. And people don't watch. They're, they're, they're very, other, other comedians watch and people in the media watch, but the, the punters don't watch. Mrs. Sproggins in, in Wolverhampton doesn't watch. She only knows anything between about anything between seven o'clock and ten o'clock. She knows on television, or increasingly, her children might know, um, you know, Netflix comedy shows or something. But uh, the, the the people who are big on the circuit, by and large, aren't well known outside the circuit. Mm, yeah, like a, a comics um, mentioned it to me before. Like there's comedians that are comedy famous, yeah, and then there's ones that are mainstream famous, like Kevin Hart, like Eliza Schelzinger, who's comedy famous, but she's not mainstream famous. Yeah. And now may he forgive me, but uh, the lovely Stuart Lee, I, I, I'm, I'm never been convinced that Stuart Lee is famous. He's had a BBC Two series, but it's a BBC Two series. Uh, I, I, I really don't think people know who Stuart Lee is. And he's phenomenally famous, and he's he's like up there on a pedestal, and he's a very nice man, I have to say. <laughs> but but so you know, Stuart Lee is like a sort of uh, uh, the epitome of, of successful godlike comedian to other comedians. But Mrs. Sproggins doesn't know who the hell he is. They, they don't know who Mrs. Brown is. Mrs. Brown is a megastar, but they yeah. don't know who Richard Herring or, or Stuart Lee or any of those people are. I mean, when they had Vic and Bob on, Vic, Vic and Bob are. Are lauded as being, you know, real, really famous comedians, but they fail miserably every time they went anywhere near mainstream peak time on television. Were they the Hayley Bikers? No, they're not. That's a stupid thing. No, you, I, I, now you don't know who Bick and Bob are. There you are. Prove my point. Bick and Bob, Reese and Mortimer. I'll look, I'll look into it. Sorry. <laughs> no, don't, don't bother. Don't waste your time. But uh... I tell you what, yeah, I mean, I had to, I'm trying to get Earl Oaken on the podcast. Oh, and he's and he's fast. He's great. Yeah. Oh, get him. Get him on. Will he not be on? He'll what, talk, to you, buddy. I, I. He wants me to do a bit of research first and like old comedy first, like oh. in the past. Once I've got a bit more knowledge than that, because he had a phone chat with me and he asked me. You know, you know, he played with the Beatles and all sorts of things. He supported the Beatles. Oh, I did not know that. He didn't mention that. Yeah. Um, Talk about his female fans. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Sex. Uh, on, on stage, on stage. Uh, <laughs> no, no, Earl's great. Uh, I haven't talked to him for years. I probably haven't talked to him this century. I'm that old. 
Oh, he is. He is definitely a character, and he's he's yeah. he's he's a comic who I want to see live. You, you've got to do it in vision as well. You've got to do it in a, a vision one with them because he'll he dress the part. It's Spats, Mr. Spats. One one thing I hear that's quite funny about him. I had a Malaysian uh, comedy promoter on the podcast, yeah. and he said that Earl Oaken, you know, it's in really hot weather in Malaysia all year round, and he wore, was wearing in a full suit and attire throughout the whole thing, and he yeah. was saying. How, dude, man, come on, it's a bit warm here. And Owen goes, don't, don't worry, I'm well ventilated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you, you, have to, you have to, you have to, that's his stick, his, his clothes, his, the builder builder hat and the, the spats and everything. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some other example, but I mean, uh, yeah, you, that's his character, he acts on the stage character, so he has to be that the whole time. Hmm. He's, yeah, I mean, it, he, it's it's funny when I spoke to him on the phone before I will do an interview later on in the year, but it's like he, he, he goes on for ages. Like he's he can talk so much about comedy. It's like a whole degree on comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he should do a course on it. He could teach a lot of people. He probably does. Everyone else has done it. That's true. It's it's become a big thing, isn't it? Yeah. All, the, all these unemployed comedians. <laughs> well, every comedian is unemployed mostly. Hmm. Well, there's a lot of funny things going on during the lockdown with um, furlough. Like comedians weren't able to get a lot of that. Was that right? Well, no, yeah, because they're self-employed. Yeah, yeah but they've got no. Em- I mean, furlough, as far as I understand it, was uh, the employer would uh, get money to keep employing you, but comedians aren't employed by anyone as such. They're freelance. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't know how it worked because I was never involved in it. But I mean, uh, I mean, there was some way of getting money if you were a freelance. But uh, I think he had to sort of show you know two years of account, I don't know, two years of accounts or something. Uh, I don't know how I, I, I opt out of that. I have no idea. Barbary furlough, very funny man. Mm. <laughs> it's 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 good to see like the gigs come back though and comedy return. Like I've seen audiences, they're quite up for it. And yeah. comedians, when I see them now, they just seem relieved, most of them. Yeah. I mean, the adrenaline must pump through comedians' bodies when they get laughs. Oh, it's bloody good, mate. It, it's like you can have a real shit day or you can feel really awkward or whatever, but when you have a good gig, everything goes away. Have you, have you done a gig in the last month? Oh, I did a gig on um, Thursday. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not gigging that much at the moment. At the moment, I'm, in, I'm trying to get my life together and, tr- and I'm interested about getting my podcast at the moment. But um, where was I going? I've forgotten where I'm going, John. <laughs> last month and you had one gig last Thursday. Yeah, no, it went really well. And it, it's a funny thing. I was with, with a bunch of, I had a few comics on there that I can't stand. So I was a bit tense before it, but when I when I had a good gig, it all goes away. <laughs> you see, you've got to name names there. No, no, you didn't name names, but uh, it's, it's not. It's it's all. It's not. It's not really important at the end of the day. I mean, who you who you like or dislike at the end of the day. It's it's, it's all that matters is if you make the audience laugh or not. Yeah. Um, so one one of the things I want to ask now. So you've spoken to a lot of comedians, but 
and we spoke a bit about it before the podcast, but could you tell us a bit about the story about how you set up the Grouchy Club? Well, uh, well Kate Copstick, the, the previously mentioned Scotsman reviewer, let's hope you didn't cut her out earlier on, um, uh, and I, I don't know, you see, I've got no memory, I don't know how it started, we, we just decided, uh, oh, we'll have a chat uh, with, with their We'll invite comedians around for a chat in the back of a shop in uh, in Shepherd's Bush. Uh, and so every month uh, before the, the COVID, uh, there was a chat and the people came in and dribs and drabs. There were, there, I don't know, there might, might have been, I'm making this up, there might have been about 30 regulars, but on any given day, there'd only be like sort of 10 people or something, or 12 or 15. Uh, and new people would drift in and drift out. And uh, we just chatted about anything that... Uh, that, that anyone fancied talking about, which is usually usually copstick being annoyed about something. She's very good at being annoyed. I've not met her or spoken to her, but I hear that she's more a lot of comics like her as a reviewer. Like her? Compared to other reviewers. Really? Most comics are shit scared of her because of savage reviews she's done in the past. But she told me that uh, well, she said it other other places, not just me. She's said it too, but uh, she she says that uh, if she gives like if she gives out that one star review to someone, she'll she'll put in a phrase in that review that the comedian can take out of context and put on the posters if they're bright enough to do it. So so either you quote a really good review that she's done of you. If if she's done a shit review, you can probably misquote her and then get a decent quote out of it. <laughs> but but, it, but if you're really if you're really dumb and stupid and not very good, then you don't notice that, and so you just you just harbour a grievance against her. And she's just she's very 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 opinionated, but that's fine. That's what a review is supposed to be. I mean, the, I I I like I dislike some comedians that everyone adores, or I, I like some comedians other people don't like. Uh, you know, it's a matter of opinion. So she expresses her views. She's, that's what she's employed to do. She reviews them, and she reviews them. Fairly, you know, I, I, I might think this comedian's great. She might think he's rubbish, and she'll say he's rubbish. Fair enough. But she's always <laughs> on. She's honest, and she's not. She's not vindictive. She's not nasty. So she she wants to encourage, as she sees it, good comedians. Uh, doesn't want to encourage bad comedians. Uh, so I mean, she's she's firm, firm but fair, firm but fair, mm. or firm but dark. Yeah. And what has been the the most interesting moment you've had with her? Tiramisu. We ate tiramisu once. Okay, <laughs> tiramisu. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's always interesting. Uh, I don't know. No, no idea. And what What has been your biggest what the fuck moment in comedy? Well, someone didn't give me tiramisu. <laughs> what, what What the fuck? As in, my God, I've never seen that. Before. Well, hopefully, lots of lots yeah. of things where I've never seen that before. Bloody hell! Uh, I don't know. One of my favourite ones is oh god I remember I've forgotten the name of the app now bloody hell I know them so well oh god uh, it's a double act oh god Ellis and Rose Ellis and Rose do you know Ellis and Rose they, they, they're now no, no longer with us uh, they, they they've got proper jobs uh, Ellis and Rose uh, were at the Edinburgh Fringe one year and they they did a a, a show about Jimmy Savile at the Ooh. peak at the peak of Jimmy I think it was called Jimmy Savile, the Punch and Judy show or something. Uh, it was written by someone else, written by Nicord, uh, and then messed up by them. Uh, and uh, this was at the peak of Jimmy Savile being someone you couldn't talk about. So they did this show in Edinburgh. 
And then after the show one night, uh, uh, Ellis was walking down the street and he got approached by this man who was, who'd been in the audience, was really, really, really annoyed with him about this Jimmy Savile show and who beat him up in the street. Uh, and uh, except this isn't true. He wasn't beaten up in the street. What had happened was that uh, Ellis and Rose had decided they weren't getting enough publicity for their show. And they, they videoed this so there would be no misunderstanding. And so uh, Ellis sat there while Rose hit him full force in the face. Uh, and he had a terrible black eye and a bruised face. And he was then able to, they were then able to tell this story about how he'd been beaten up in the street and get a, a few lines in The Scotsman and, and uh, the Edinburgh Evening News and indeed a blog about it. And uh, and then they admitted to to me that uh, this was all made up as a publicity stunt. So they won a cunning, they were going to win a cunning stunt award, except someone else deserved the cunning stunt award better. But it was the best cunning stunt I've ever heard in my life. I mean, he he, he really looked a terrible mess. He, terrible black eye, bruised face, everything. And they, they videoed it. So you could actually see Ellis saying to uh, to Rose, no, no, hit me harder, hit me harder. <laughs> all, all for three lines in the, in the Scotsman. Now that that is a, a what the fuck moment, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that goes above and beyond the necessities of publicity. <laughs> I think anyone, yeah. <laughs> you you, you a... find it on my blog, so it goes. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of your blog and all of that, uh, how do people find out about you, John, and get in touch with you? Well, you tell them, you tell them what that is, so it goes, and it's the John Fleming, and it's on there. Uh, just look at my, or look at my website, thejohnfleming.com, Fleming with one M, and they're not just uh, James Bond, but penicillin. I get n no money from either of those. Oh, God. I know, bastards. <laughs> Rule of three, the three, three great Flemings. There's uh, penicillin, there's James Bond, and there's the other one. Not oh, me, sadly. <laughs> oh. But he was a good actor, the 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 Ian Fleming. He was what? He was a great writer, though, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, they missed they missed the real there's a real sadism in there. They missed the real sadism, I think. And also, I don't know why they just don't. They they've never really made the books because I've read all the books, obviously, and and they 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 use a bit of this book and a bit of that book and they put them in different films. There's a bit where. Uh, he and a girl are tied together and being dragged along in a speedboat over sharp, sharp, um, uh, sharp rocks, and that put in a totally different film to to the book it was in. And there's a bit where he, he he's sitting in a, a chair with no bottom and his testicles keep getting hit. And I think that was in Doctor No, but it's in a totally different film. They just Ooh. I don't know why they, they they just didn't do the the books. Anyway, enough of that. My <laughs> namesake. <laughs> now. Not it's a lot been, of lots. It was, it's been it's been an entertaining interview, and you've you've informed us of a lot of unique in things, and it's been a pleasure, John. 